Join with me in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give each one of you according to your works." Now, uh, to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as... I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that um, it is perfect in every way. And there are portions of your scripture, Lord, that uh, are just incredibly joyful and lift our spirits. And the other parts that give warning and just a check of just caution, Lord, to our spirits. And Lord, all of it is good and profitable for us, Lord, that we might live holy and pleasing lives to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take this word now and seal it in our hearts, Lord. Seal it in our minds. Wash us clean through it and prepare us, Lord, that we might be pleasing to you, Lord, for your glorious gospel. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, Something uh, structurally happens now uh, at this church that is different than the, the three previous. Uh, when we had, uh, let's see here, the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos, they had a definite end. He just said, hey, you know, you guys do this, do this, this. He who has an, an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says, and that's kind of the end of it. He just, he addresses them and says, that's it. Uh, with the church of Thyatira, this is the first, and the rest of them will continue in this new uh, structure. And he basically says, hold fast to what you have until I come. Okay, so now we actually have a change here. Whatever these churches that were before, remember, you know, they were literal churches of John's day. And yet they have a greater relevance to the church of today. Uh, they have a specific meaning for that. But now... We have this church, Thyatira, who was a literal church in the day of the Apostle John. And yet now the Lord Jesus Christ is saying that this church, whether it be by doctrine, whether it be uh, by symbolism, he says he's talking about this church. This church will continue on all the way until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would either mean the rapture or the second coming in the great tribulation. OK, so there's just a doctrinal or there's a structural difference now where these people have a warning where the others didn't. The others just said, hey, yo, you, you've got these things going for you. You've got these things that you need to work on. Uh, just here you go. Here's your report card. You know, get to work. These churches now, from this point forward, these churches, he says, you need to hold fast until I come. You need to continue on until I come. And he's sitting there talking. It's like, okay, as, as we're looking at the 70th week of Daniel approaching, it's like, okay, these churches, these next churches are going to be in existence when the Lord Jesus Christ comes at the rapture, and they will be there as the great tribulation begins. And there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats, so to speak, where those who are true believers of the Lord Jesus Christ will be resurrected or um, raptured into heaven with him, and those who are not will be cast into the great tribulation. So that is an important structural difference that we see uh, in this church. And like I said, it will continue on through the rest of these churches. Now he says in verse 18, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira write. Okay, what is the city of Thyatira? Uh, like I said, it was a city specifically in that day. It was a military city, actually. 
and it actually stood on the junction of three roads. And those three roads went to Pergamus, to Sardis, and to Smyrna. So we know of these churches. We know where these cities, where this thing goes. And uh, Thyatira was a city that was built to guard uh, the trade routes. It was built to guard, to be a stronghold, to defend the other churches. Or not churches, but to the other cities. Um, Thyatira was named um, by a man named uh, Nicator. Uh, he was one of the four generals of Alexander the Great. Uh, Alexander the Great uh, conquered the known world in his time by an su- incredibly young age, I think it was like 30-something, where he had the entire known world was under his control. And he literally wept and said, you know, there's nothing else for me to conquer. And he literally like, died of depression. It's very vague on how he died, but he just basically keeled over and died. It wasn't in battle, wasn't anything like that. You know, this was the guy who charged strongholds, hopped walls, and took down the enemy. And he just like, there's nothing else for me to conquer. And then he just keeled over and died. And as he was on his deathbed, they said, because he didn't have any children, because he was a young man, and his entire lifetime had been in fighting in war, they said, who shall we give the kingdom to? And he said, give it to the strong. And those were his parting words. And so, yeah, great, great uh, backup plan there, huh? And so his four generals of his armies, uh, they split up the, uh, his kingdom, and they began fighting and all that kind of stuff. And, well, oh, this one guy, uh, Nicator, uh, one of the four generals, he was the one who had this area uh, of Alexander the Great's kingdom. And uh, as he had this, uh, he had the birth of a daughter. And as he had uh, his little girl, he's like, you know what? I'm going to name a city in honor of my little girl. And so he literally named Thyatira literally means daughter. Like, yeah. So that's just a, a little bit of history about this uh, city. But it actually does play into the context of what Jesus uh, is addressing with this church that is uh, found in this city. Uh, verse 18 continues on. It says, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now, this is the first place and the only place in the book of Revelation where Jesus addresses himself as the Son of God. You think, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, he, ta- he calls himself the first and last, the Alpha and the Omega, uh, these different titles that we see, and they kind of happen throughout the book. But this is the one spot where he says, uh, these things says the Son of God. These things says the Son of God. And as we look upon uh, this church that has a doctrinal issue that we're, we're going to dig into in verse 20 and 21 in just a few minutes, it's important to understand that he's saying, listen, he says, these things says the Son of God. Now, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you know what? Talk about like Trinity and Sarah. If Trinity goes up to Sarah and says, Sarah, uh, you need to go clean your room. Sarah will probably say, you're not the boss of me. You know, what do you think? Uh, I don't have to do what you say. She, she says that all the time because Trinity does try to boss her around a little bit. She tries to be a little mother hen. And, but she'll say, you're not the boss of me. And you know, Livia will chirp right in. If, if Trinity tries to get Livia to do something, she'll say, you're not the boss of me. That's what all the girls say to Trinity. And yet... Sometimes I'll ask Trinity, hey, will you go tell Sarah or Livy to go clean up their room? And Trinity will say, okay, sure. And then she'll go over there and say, uh, you need to clean up the room. You're not the boss of me. And then she'll come back, daddy, they wouldn't listen to me. I say, tell them daddy says to go clean up their room now. And she'll walk back and she'll have that kind of swagger in her voice. Now she'll say, daddy tells you to go right now and clean your room. Aww. And you hear that from downstairs. You're like... And they get all upset, but they do it. They do it because now Trinity is no longer speaking with her own authority, but now she is speaking with a greater authority. So now you have Jesus Christ now. Jesus Christ is authority enough, is he not? And yet he's sitting there saying to this group, he says, these things says the Son of God. And you go, ooh, that is an authoritative uh, speech that he's making. He's saying, I am the son of God, so you need to listen up right now. Uh, In Matthew 16, uh, verse uh, 13 through 20, uh, Jesus had taken uh, Peter and the boys to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, I've been to Caesarea Philippi. It's It's an incredible word picture that the Lord paints here. But he says, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, which means little stone. And on this rock, it means a megaleth, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Okay, we have a very important moment uh, in the disciples' life here. Because up to this point, they're, they're still struggling. And even after this, they kind of struggle. But here was a defining moment where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He goes, I, you know, here, here's what the world says. And as he's sitting there in Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi was a cesspool. You know, it was very beautiful. The Romans made sure of that. It was a gorgeous spring. And, you know, it, it had all these gardens all around it. And, and it, even today, it's still gorgeous. And there was this great big spring that was coming out of a great big hole in an even great bigger, is that a word, bigger, great bigger? It was a huge megalith of a rock. Okay, you have this giant, huge stone. And in it, there's this great big cavern. And out of it comes a great big spring that comes down and pours down. And they made all these channels that feed a bunch of gardens, and it's gorgeous. Right, so the pagan people of that day had a whole bunch of temples set up in this area. They believed that that spring of water, which is one of the headwaters of the Jordan River, they believed that that spring of water was the actual entrance. It's the gate that leads down into Hades. Now, remember, you, know, you have Hades, the god, who's the keeper of the underworld and all of that. They believed this was the entrance into Hades. They believed this is the place where the um, mythological Hercules went into Hades through this spot, went down and rescued that uh, woman and brought her back to life from Hades. This is the very spot. Okay, so he says, so Jesus brings his boys to uh, Caesarea Philippi. And in this place where they have all these gods to all these, you know, to just this and that, whatever vile passion you have, they got a God for it. You want it, they got it. And they had all over there, and this included child sacrifice, human sacrifice. What they would do, they would literally slit the throat of people, and they would pour their blood into that great big spring of water. And as the water rushed down and as the, the water cleared up again because the new water was coming in and replaced it, they believed that that meant that the gods received their sacrifice. That's the kind of stuff that they were doing. And at this place, he says, who do they say that I am? Because Jesus was, he was the rage. He was the talk of the town. And everybody, you know, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, were talking about this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth who was doing miracles and speaking like a prophet. And he says, who do they say that I am? You know, and this isn't a Jewish area. This is a Gentile area. And they're like, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead, that, you know, remember Herod cut off his head? And some say that, that you're Elijah and all these things. He says, but now who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. He says, God the Father has revealed this to you. He says, and you are Peter, little stone. He says, but upon this megalith. And now remember, he's looking at Caesarea Philippi right here, which is a megalith. He says, upon this megalith, it's what he said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, upon this declaration, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church on the declaration that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, Emmanuel, God with us, the Alpha and the Omega, the express image of God. He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you go like, wow, that's pretty heavy duty. I would say as we look at, when we're, we're looking at this, um, this grading of this church, because now remember, we're part of the church, are we not? And he says, he who has an ear, he, and he speaks to all of the churches. As he's grading this, I would say, remember who you serve. Remember who you worship. Because he, the declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that is the megalith on which Jesus has built his church. And it is upon that declaration it is upon that that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, this place where these people you know, worship in idolatry and licentiousness and all these things. He says, those things will not conquer that declaration and they will not conquer my church. Remember who you serve. Remember who you worship. 
Because he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the son of God. And he is saying, listen up. He says, these things says the son of God. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is a great book. Chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 4. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. That means through Jesus Christ, the entire universe was made. You go, wow, in the beginning, remember? Reshith Elohim. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, Hebrews chapter 1 is declaring that it was through Jesus Christ that the heavens and the earth were made. And he says, who being the brightness of his glory. Now, you know, we find out at the end of Revelation that by the, the very glory of the Lord, literally the heavens and the earth are going to pass away and no room is going to be found for them. The heavens and the earth are going to melt with a fervent heat. Right? Yet it's saying that Jesus Christ is the glory of God. And uh, he is the glory and the express image of his person, right? Jesus Christ is the express image of the person of God. He is, do you guys remember when uh, Thomas said, you know, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And he says, Thomas, how long have I been with you? He says, and still do you not understand? He says, have you been with me so long? He goes, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father, and that word express image, it literally means like an impression. It would be like if you took your hand and if you guys are, you've been down to Huntington Beach, you've seen Joey's, you know, surfing hall of fame star and it's got his, uh, it's got his handprint on the, on the sidewalk. I was there. I got, I got to sit in like the reserve seats and everything during the ceremony. And you know, I was there and I watched him press his hands in there and he put his feet in there and the whole bit. And when you go and you look, it's like, that handprint is an express image of the handprint of Joey. It's nobody else's hand. It doesn't look like mine. It doesn't, it doesn't have the characteristics of my bent pinky and all that kind of stuff. It, it's Joey's hand. You know, and from that, you can say, okay, well, you know, Joey doesn't have the biggest hands. He's probably a smaller guy. You, you can tell a lot about Joey by those handprints and those feet prints. Right? It, it wasn't very deep. He's probably not a very heavy guy. Matter of fact, they had to like, push down on him a little bit to get it to do its thing. <laughs> You know, it's like, so, you know, he's probably a little guy, you know, but, you know, those handprints are an express image of, of, of Joey, of his hand. Now, Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father. He says, if you want to know God, if you want to know God's personality, if you want to know what God likes and what God dislikes, he says, look to Jesus. If you want to know, you know, is he humble, is he a proud and arrogant God, look at Christ, who is acquainted with grief. Right? A man of sorrows, who ate with sinners, dined with publicans, tax collectors, and the such. Right? This is the express image of God. And whatever, whatever thoughts people had about God, whatever they thought who you know, the Father was, if you wanted to know in truth about the Father, he says, you need to look to the Son. So Jesus was the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. You guys heard of atomic glue? Any of you guys science majors know what science, stuff like that? You know, if, if you guys, those of you who are not science majors or those of you, you know, some of us, you know, were probably not completely in our faculties during school. So anyway, you know, they talked about stuff uh, in school, in our science lessons, that you, know, that you have like the protons and the neutrons and the electrons and all these kind of things. And protons and neutrons are, they're radically, they're always trying to go away from each other. And yet, we don't know what it is. We don't know why. There's this thing, they just made it up. It's, it, I mean, it sounds like something my kids would make up. Atomic glue. There's some glue holding the, the universe together. We don't know what it is. We don't know why it is, because these things want to run away from each other, and yet they stick together. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? It's, it's like two, you know, like when you take the magnets and you put them together and they, and they want to like jump apart if you put them the wrong way. They're like forced, they're, they're, they're forced trying, and you, get literally, you literally have to hold them together, right, to keep them in place. And the moment you let go, they fly apart. And yet they say that, you know, oh, there's just some atomic glue that holds it all together. We don't know what, we don't understand why, but there's just this thing, it's atomic glue, and they just write it off. It's like, yeah, they know if they break that glue, you know, that's how atomic reactions happen and great big explosions happen. But in the end, they're just like, you know, we don't know what that is, atomic glue. And yet uh, Hebrews says that 
All things are held by the word of his power. Jesus Christ, the son of God, the Christ, the son of the living God, literally by the word of his power, by his word. He just says like, stick together. And they stick together. Every atom in our body, every molecule in this universe is held together by a word. Isn't that incredible? And so he says, uh, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I don't know if you guys know about the holiness of God, but back in the old days, uh, Old Testament times, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that you had to do to, to be able to have a, an audience with God. Number one, you had to be born of uh, Aaron's lineage. Uh, if you weren't sorry, you ain't seeing God. It just ain't going to happen. Okay? So, number one, you had to be that. Uh, if Let's say that you were a Gentile like me. Okay? So, you're a Gentile, and you show up, you know, and you're excited. You, know, you Maybe you heard the scriptures somewhere. You, you know, some Jews, you know, proselytized you, and you gave your heart to the Lord, and it's like you even got yourself circumcised and everything, and you go to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to meet God. You want to go face-to-face. You're going to his holy temple, and you go there, and you get there, and there's like all of these things that you have to do. There's ceremony washings that you have to walk through. There's these big lines. It's like Disneyland, but you're like, literally, there's no rides. You know, you're, you're going through, and you go through, and there's like a line because you're dirty. And so you're going to go into this bath. So they make you take a bath first. So you get there. You, you have to dunk yourself several times. It's seven times, actually. You dunk yourself in there. Then you come out. They give you a robe. And then you walk over, and you're in this line. You go through a gates, and you go up some stairs. And then you come, and you're blinded by this giant t- uh, temple made of white. It looks kind of like marble. It's not, it's not marble, but it's like that. And so the sun shining on it in its strength just blinds you after you've been in this dark, dark tunnel that, that literally has to be lit with uh, torches. And you walk out, and all of a sudden it's just like this, this magnificent just brightness you know, hits you. And you're just like in awe. There's like all these people around you. There's animals you know, bleeding and things like that. And then you come up, and then all of a sudden you see a wall. And there's a sign posted on the wall. And it says, if any Gentile walks through these doors, he will be stoned to death. And you think, wow. But isn't this where I meet God? Isn't this where I come into his presence? And yet there's a great big sign right there in brass, right in front of a gate. It says, this far, no further, if you're a Gentile. Now, if you're a woman, a, a Jewish woman, now you get to walk, you get to walk right past that gate. And you walk on in and then you're there. And there's more people in there. Now you have all the Jewish people and they're all worshiping and things like that. And then you come to the next gate and it says, you ain't going any further. This is as far as you go. This is the gate of the women. You're done. The men can go in and, you know, that's as far as they can go. Now you've got, only got priests. The priests can only go so far. And then you've got the holy place and then you have the most holy place. So there's all these things, all these rules and all these regulations, all this separation from God. And God is in this place, in this most holy place where his glory dwells, right? Where he put his name forever. And the only person who can go in there is the high priest. The high priest is appointed for life. He has to be of the lineage of Aaron, and he can't have one defect in him. If you've got a birthmark, you can't go in. That's it. Sorry. And so it was very strict guidelines, and yet when he could go in, he couldn't just go in anytime he wanted, right? He wants to pray for the people. Maybe he's very excited, and he goes, you know what? I'm just going to go in today. He goes in today, lightning from the altar shoots off and burns him to a crisp. And the rope that is attached to his feet and the bells that are attached to the bottom of his garment, let when they stop ringing and stuff like that, people know, yeah, this guy, new high priest. And they pull him out by the rope because he died, because he messed up. And yet those faithful high priests who aren't quite so foolish as that one, they go in there once a year. And they go in after they've had the, a whole bunch of sacrifices for themselves, right? Lots of blood was spilled for them by innocent animals. And finally, they've done all their purification rituals. And then they go in there and they have the blood of a lamb that they're going to put on the four corners, the four horns of the altar on the mercy seat. And yet even still, they take an incense. They take a little uh, thing, a little, uh, it's, they're like little metal things. And inside it is incense. And they light the incense on fire and it starts creating a smoke. And they go in swinging the smoke and so that smoke becomes a veil. And so even that once a year after all the sacrifices, after all of the purification, the high priest of all people who's supposed to stand in the gap for the people of Israel, the the mediator between God and man, has to go in under the cover of a veil. Because God is holy. Because God is holy. And yet... Jesus Christ 
He purged our sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this isn't just some little you know, mock-up you know, like model of the, of the true tabernacle in heaven. He, Jesus Christ literally sits down in the true heaven, in the true temple of God. And he sits down in the right hand of the presence of God. See, Jesus has all authority. See, look, he says, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Right? So you have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the express image of God, who has been given all authority on heaven and in earth. And he says, listen to what I say. He is speaking and he is giving his credentials right now. To this church, he's saying, thus says he, the Son of God, Thus says the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he's saying, listen up. Listen up. And it's important that we, his church, you know, when the Bible says listen, you know, it's an important thing for us to pay attention to that and say, you know what, I'm going to listen to what the Lord is saying right now. Because this is an important thing because these churches, these churches, yes, they were in the past, they had their thing. But you know what? Have people changed all that much? from 2,000 years ago to today? You think, oh, you know, I've got my cell phone, and you know, we're so advanced and things like that, and yet you know, people have the same anger issues they had before. You know, people have the same, you know, they get stressed out. You know, people have to see doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists. People take drugs. and it, People haven't changed at all. I mean, people are exactly the same as they were before. We haven't changed. You know, technology has changed. Customs have changed, but even that, not even all that much. And yet he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, you know what? He says, you need to listen up. He says, the things that I'm about to address with this church, he says, I would rather, and it, I, I, I've told you guys before, but my dad used to tell me all the time. He says, Brian, he said, you can learn things the hard way or you can learn things the easy way. He says, but you will learn them. Okay, I was a stubborn, uh, stiff-necked kid. And I usually had to learn things, I'd say pretty much every time, I had to learn things the hard way. Okay? That was me. But that is not necessary for us. The Lord says, hey, you know what? These things were written as an example for us. He says, take these things, take the lessons that I'm going to teach to these churches and you know, their strengths, he says, you know, bring them into your own life, he says, and their weaknesses, he says, learn from them and don't do them. Don't do them. Remember Balaam. He says, remember Lot's wife. There's, there's a famous quote, a chilling quote, knowing that Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt because she turned back. Verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Period. I don't know about you guys, but remember the other ones? He, he kind of went on about their works. He, I know your works. Uh, this is uh, Pergamos. He goes, your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast to my name. You did not demi- deny my faith. Even the days of Antipas was my faithful martyr and was killed among you where Satan dwells. Like, you know, he kind of went on about it. You go back even a little bit further to Smyrna. He, like the whole thing is a combination about, you know, all the things that they're doing, how great they are. And uh, then you go even further to Ephesus, and he's really, you know, he's like, there's like all these things. There's all these things that he's commending about them, saying, hey, great job, good job, well done, hey, that's fantastic. And then now, to the church in Thyatira, he goes, I know your works, love, service, faith, patience, and for your works, the last are more than the first. And he just says, nevertheless. That word nevertheless wraps up all of their works. And you just go like, wow. Do you see how just in the structure of this thing, he kind of glances over their works? He literally, he's just like, he kind of runs past them real quick. There's a lot of little commas. He doesn't go into detail about their works, you know, and all these things. He just kind of like runs past them. He glances over them. And, you know, as I was looking at this, the question came up, why? Why is he just glancing over their works? Because Jesus has no pleasure in a defiled offering. Okay, all of these works that they're doing, all of these things that they're doing. He says, hey, even he goes, your works, 
the last or greater than he goes so it's not like their works you know started big and, and kind of decrescendoed he said no your works were like this and they got bigger you you did more works and yet the lord has no pleasure in a defiled offering and so he's just glancing past him he goes oh i know and you know what there, there were some in that church that you know the works that they were doing were good and they were in christ they were purified by the blood of the lamb but the, the vast majority of this church is he's just like i know your works nevertheless I've got something against you. And you just go like, wow. Their sin overshadowed their good. The things that they were doing wrong overshadowed the things that they were doing right. And the example I'd like to give you guys is, you know, you, you guys know Heidi. She's a great lady, huh? Yeah, that's my beautiful wife. She's awesome. You know, she's Betty Crocker. She's Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. You know, that's Heidi. You know, that's it in a nutshell. You know, we used to joke around. Uh, you know, me and Joey, and, and one time Joey said, yeah, you know, if, you know, the, if the president met Jennifer, you know, Jennifer would, you know, be talking about things and, you know, would have like the full-on cover, like I'd be all nervous, and Jennifer, she would just like talk to him like, like this. I said, yeah, if Heidi met the president, she would, you know, be over at the house cooking dinner for him or something like that. She would meet him, and she would like just like put her arm around him and walk off with him, and they'd go, you know, you know hang out together. I said, we'd be invited over for dinner or something. You know, no doubt. And... If I, as a husband, do everything that Heidi loves, right? I know she loves the, the color green. That's her favorite color. So if I, if I like, make sure that you know, I have you know, a wardrobe of green, I know that her favorite color besides green is sparkly and shiny. You know, so if I buy her lots of jewels and things that sparkle and shine, you know, and, and that's great. You know, it, I know that she loves um, – it, it's, like it's like a dump cake with strawberries – and uh, whipped cream and all that. You know, she loves that. You, you like shave a little bit of chocolate on the top of it even. And, you know, she loves that. You know, I could do that for her. I know she loves steak. And, you know, I, I, can, I could like cook dinner for her and all that kind of stuff. I, I know that, you know, the, the kids are, you know, kind of tire her out because she's a homeschool mom. we got four of them and all that. So, like, when I come home from the office, you know, I can come up and, hey, honey, you, know, you go just relax and, and chill out. And I'll just, like, take up and, and you know, don't worry. The kids are mine. You know, I'll, you know, whatever. I've got it all taken care of. Don't even worry about it. And I did all those things. And then, you know, I put the kids to bed. You know, I bathed them, made sure they brushed their teeth, you know, put them all to bed, read them their stories and stuff like that. Then I went over, honey, how you doing? And I gave her a back rub. And then, you know, you know got some lotion out and rubbed her feet and, and the whole bit. And, you know, she loves manicures and so if i did her nails and and i paint her you know there's a funny story about the painting of the nails because i used to paint her nails it was very funny but that was in the time when she first became a manicurist i don't know did you guys know she was a manicurist also and so uh that was when she first became a manicurist and i'm sitting there painting her nails and she started complaining about the way i was doing it i wasn't doing it right i was like okay then i won't do it anymore (laughs) and to my shame i still have it (laughs) I, I got to get over that. I'm, I, know. I know. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But let's say, let's say that I overcame my, my uh, sinful uh, demeanor, and I started painting her nails again, and I just treated her like a queen. You'd think she'd be a pretty happy wife, huh? She'd be stoked. She'd be absolutely stoked. And yet, if I was doing all those things while at the same time cheating on her, well, and she knew, would those things mean anything to my wife? No. They would be offensive to her. They would be an abomination to her. She'd be wondering, do you do this to her? Why are you doing this? What's your motive behind this? And so too with this church. He says, I know your works. Yeah, I know your works. And yet your works are an offense to me. Your works are offensive to me because of what you're doing. Because your life is not mine. Your, your life, you know, like the way that I talk to the Ephesians, saying you've left your first love. Hey, you have any, you, it's not that just that you left your first love, but you've brought in an adulteress. You've brought in you know, this Jezebel, who we're going to get to in just a second. He goes, you, you've brought her in and you've taken my place. You've exchanged me for someone else. That's what Jesus is saying to this church. And the reason why he just glances over his, this church is because, like, what, what's he going to say? Yeah, yeah, I know your works. I know all the good things that you've done. I, I know how patient you are. You know, I, I know all of it. You know, your service, your faith, you know, you trust. You're, you know, all of it. 
He goes, and yet I have no pleasure in it. Micah chapter 6. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord? This is Micah asking. And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves of year old? That's the most expensive type of offering, by the way. You know, in the, in the Old Testament system of worship. A calf. You could do pigeons for the poor, lambs for uh, the middle class, and calves for the rich. Right? And he says, he says, so he goes, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The answer is no. No. What does the Lord ask? Verse 8, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a changed heart, that's all. He wants a relationship with his people. We've seen this. And it's a, it's a repeating thing throughout the scriptures. Whether we're in Genesis or whether in Revelation, God is still calling out and desiring for his people to walk with him. He's longing to have relationship with us. He wants to have those baby visits where he comes and you show him Isaac. Hey, look at my baby. You know, here, Lord, hold my baby. You know, he wants to have that. And yet, you know, we try to approach him, you know, based on works and things like that. Or we have defilement in our lives that we're unwilling to yield, that we're unwilling to let go of. We have things that are literally displacing God in our lives. And God says, hey, I know your works. I know all the good things you do. And yet, I don't care about all those good things you do. I don't care about all those good things you do. I, I talked to a guy at the pastor's conference. His name was Juan. And he's like, you know, Brian, he said, 20 years ago, he goes, when I planted the church, he goes, I, I just asked the Lord. He goes, and I've been asking the Lord faithfully for 20 years that he would let me see people get saved. He goes, you know what? And the Lord has been faithful to answer that prayer. He goes, and praise the Lord. Tons of people have been saved. He says, but you know what? Who cares? And that kind of struck me when I heard a pastor say this. He said, who cares? He said, the, wor- the Lord would have you know, done that work with those people no matter what, whether it was with me or with, with somebody else. He goes, he would have saved them. He would have delivered them from their sin. He would have called them out. He goes, you know what I should have been calling for? You know what I should have been praying for, Brian? He said, I should have been praying for intimacy with him, that he would reveal himself to me, that I would know him, that I would walk with him. He goes, that's what I should have been asking. He goes, my ministry has been a waste these 20 years. He says, because I am not closer to my God because of it. And it's like, whoa. Throughout the past, I kept seeing him like, so how you doing, dude? Like, how's it going? And, and he was still like, he, you could tell he was just wrestling in his mind with it. Because, you know, he had, he had given over to like these works and he was excited about these works. He was doing these works. And yet he's just like, I should have been longing for him. I should have been longing for my God. And I haven't. I've been longing for converts. And he, he realized at that pastor's conference that that was the wrong motive. It wasn't converts he should have been seeking. It was the Son of God. It was a relationship with his maker that he should have been seeking. And so when we allow anything in our lives to displace that relationship with our God, then does the, does the Lord care about what we do? Does he care, you know, that I'm a pastor? Does he care that I teach his word verse by verse and all those things? I mean, he'll certainly use it. But in the end, Paul said, hey, you know what? I don't want to be one who, you know, in preaching the gospel has himself become a cast off. And so I would say for us this evening, guys, the Lord knows our works. Yet the works, they'll come and go. There's, you know, the ministry treadmill 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year. Although now that Japan moved, it's slightly different. But nevertheless, there's always works to be done. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you, but I will not always be with you. Right? When Mary Magdalene broke that very expensive, very costly perfume, and Judas got kind of upset about it, and he kind of riled the other disciples to start attacking her. 
because she did this. He's like, what a waste. We could have given this to the poor. And he's like, no. He says, you leave her alone because she has anointed me for my burial. Mary, who sat at the feet of Christ and that would not be taken from her, she got the best part. She had the best part because she knew her God and she walked with her God and she gave everything for her God. And, you know, you could be a Judas and you can have all the works. Judas did all the works, right? He cast out demons. You know, he healed the sick. You know, Judas was one of the boys. He was one of the 12 apostles. He did it. You know, he was there when all the stuff went down. Judas was there. And yet, let me ask you this. Do you think the Lord was pleased with the works of Judas? The answer is absolutely not. Why? Because he knew he was a devil. He knew that his heart was far from him. He was part of that generation that drew near to the Lord with his lips, but his heart was cold and callous to to his God. And so the Lord, when he's talking to this church, he's like, I know your works. But nevertheless, isn't that a sad word, that word? Nevertheless. I know your works. I know all the things that you do. He says, nevertheless. Nevertheless. That word should be in bold face. Nevertheless. Guys, what's our nevertheless? What's our nevertheless? Yo, <laughs> I feel kind of like a fire and brimstone preacher on Wednesday nights, but it's only because we're going through here. Revelation's kind of that book. You kind of have to be. There's a lot of fire and brimstone in this book. So I apologize for that, but not really because it's the word of God. So, uh, you know, we'll get over it, won't we? And yet here, the Lord is just speaking, guys. I know your works. I know your works, but I want you to draw near to me. He says, lay down the works for a little bit and draw near to me. Let me speak to you. Let me give to you. Let me pour into your life. He says, because those works won't do anything for you. Those things that you've replaced me with, that you've pushed me out and pushed me aside, and those things that you have allowed to dominate your mind so as to make you begin, like I kind of like fade into the background of your life. He says, let's talk about those things. Nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Jezebel. Jezebel, it's it's one of those names of infamy. And when you hear somebody who's actually named Jezebel today, you kind of go like, ooh, wow. Nice name. (laughs) Famous name. Your parents didn't go to church, did they? <laughs> Do you know what your name means? It's kind of like Jillian. Jillian actually means bearded one. So people don't know. I don't think if they knew the names, uh, what they meant, they probably wouldn't name him that. But nevertheless, <laughs> Jezebel, I'm going to read to you just a small portion of, of who she is, and I'll just kind of give you the overview after that. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In the days of Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. Listen to this. He laid the foundation with uh, Abiram. Abiram, his firstborn. So he literally sacrificed his son and put him in the literally put him into the foundation. Um, and with his youngest uh, son Segub, he set up its gates again, killing his. He killed his first son. He killed his last son uh, at the dedication of this city. 
according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So you think, wow, you know, it's, this is about Ahab, right? But let me just tell you this. Ahab was a puppet. Ahab was a weak man. He was a weak king that allowed himself to be ruled by his wife. Okay, uh, here's just, a, here's just a, I'm just going to give you the highlights of Jezebel. Okay, Jezebel, uh, she had 450 prophets of Baal, so she set up Baal worship. She's the one who moved her husband and tempted him to begin to serve the Baals. And Baal was a, was a god, was a pagan god, pagan deity. And it was a god that you worship this god through sexual rites. Uh, when it talked about how he set up an image, it was literally a phallic symbol. It's, just, it's, a, it's like a great big 20-foot phallic symbol. That's what he set up. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, this one, Jezebel, she so proliferated Baal worship in her day that she literally had 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Asherah is the female counterpart of Baal. Okay, so she had 850 prophets, and they came and ate at her table regularly. Okay, this is what she was about. This was her life. You know, she, she came from a, a pagan king, a pagan people, and she loved worshiping the Baals. That's what she did, and she proliferated it, and she spread it all across Israel. Uh, not only that, while she was uh, establishing the prophets of Baal, she literally went on a rampage and massacred the prophets of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of her God. She literally went out, and there was even a guy who hit, had literally hid a hundred prophets uh, in two caves while she was going around just trying to just completely scourge the land of any people who would still seek and follow the Lord. Right, So that was another one of her great things. Not only that, uh, after Elijah, the great man of God, had wiped out and killed her 450 prophets and then 400 prophets, she got really angry and then she set out to try to kill him. And then uh, after that, uh, her husband started having a little temper tantrum one night. Uh, he came home and he's all sullen and sulky and he's in his bed rolling over, sucking his thumb and had his little blankie over himself with that. And she's like, why are you so sullen? And he goes, because Naboth, you know, he has this really nice, you know, vineyard right next to ours, and he won't sell it to me. And he, so he was really upset and, and just having a little temper tantrum. And she's like, you rule Israel. And you could just, you could hear like the, probably the mocking in her voice, the way it's written. And she's just like, don't worry about it. Get up, brush your hair, brush your teeth, please, and chill out. So she goes over and she literally sets up a thing where she sets up this great big, uh, uh, like basically like a party type thing. And she has a bunch of guys come and accuse him that he had uh, blasphemed God, the Lord, Jehovah, and also the king. And at that point said, and those same people that she, she paid, she hired to do that, you're going to take him out and you're going to stone him outside the city. And so basically uh, the, the party happens. They do the very thing. They take Naboth out. They stone him to death, even though it was false charges. And then she goes to her husband and says, all right, the vineyard's yours. Enjoy. That's Jezebel. Ahab, at the end of his life, repented. Interesting, huh? At the very end of his life, the worst king in Israel, at the end of his life, he repented. And God even says, the, the, the terror and the wrath that I was about to pour out on him, he says, I'm going to hold it now. He says, and I will allow him to... He ended up dying in battle. He says, but I'm going to allow him to die and I'll bring the wrath upon his sons after him. And so because he was willing to repent, he humbled himself, he put himself in sackcloth and ashes, he repented, and so the Lord's judgment passed over Ahab. And yet then it continues on, and Ahab's dead, he died in battle, and now you have Jezebel and this guy named Jehu, this guy, Jehu, gets anointed by a prophet, anoints him with oil, says, hey, the Lord told me you're the king of Israel, and the prophet runs away. Jehu gets up like, hey, that's it, I'm it. And so he just gathers an army together, and he just starts conquering Israel. And he comes to Samaria, and he says, hey, he go, and, and Jezebel comes out, and she, like, she's up in an upper story, and she like, yells out to him like, ah, who are you, and you know, what do you think you're doing here? And he doesn't even talk to her. He doesn't address her at all. He just says, is there anybody who's with me in there? And a couple of eunuchs looked out, and he says, throw her out. And these eunuchs grab Jezebel, and they throw her out the window, and it says, it, this was a violent death. She hit the ground, and it says her blood splattered on the wall and upon the horses. 
So it was a pretty high. She was probably in a tower or something like that. And it's like that was the end of her. And this is the part that gets PG-13. Uh, I apologize for this, but it's the word of God. But it said, as, a, as was prophesied earlier by the Lord, that the dogs ate her. Because Jehu left her there in the street. And you know, there was wild dogs running around in those days. Uh, if you go to Mexico, you have wild dogs running around. The wild dogs ate her, so nothing was left of her but her skull, the palms of her hands, and the soles of her feet. So she wasn't even buried. She was a cursed woman. That was the end of her. Then Jehu sent letters uh, into Samaria and said, Hey, put a king on the throne. He goes, and you have him come out to meet me. And the people, the, the rulers of Samaria said, Hey, no, 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 we're on your side. We can't stand against you. He goes, Okay, prove it. He says, Cut off the heads of all of the sons of Ahab, and you deliver them to me. He goes, Or I'm coming after you. And so they went, and they, these guys took all, they rounded up all 70 sons, seven zero, 70 sons of Ahab. They cut off their heads, they brought them to him, and Jehu literally piled them up in two piles at the, at the entrance of the city gate. And thus, exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. You think, Pastor Brian, come on, why are, you, why are you sharing that with us? Because this is the Jezebel that the Lord is speaking about. Let's read this again now. And uh, it, it, it all kind of comes into context now when we, when we read this. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. We see that very much in what she did. He says, And I gave her time to repent, even longer than Ahab, of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Now listen to this. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. That word is like violently throw down. How did she die? She was violently thrown down. Okay? He says, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. What tribulation is coming up? Do we, we see it's coming into this right after chapter 4 and 5? The great tribulation. He's, talk, he's addressing this church, right? And he says, but he's using her as the type. He says, unless they repent of their deeds. He says, now listen to this. What happened to Ahab's kids? He says, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give each one of you according to your works. What did we say about works? Can we stand before God by our works? No. So, remember, Jesus passed over their works. He saw their works. He knew their works. And he's just like, yeah, so? He says, you have brought into your midst, and you have exalted, and you've allowed this woman Jezebel... Who eat, he, she's taught my people to sin against me. And you have allowed her to have a place of preeminence. You've allowed her to come in there and teach you wrong things. And now, you know, you can fill in the blank. Now, Jezebel and the worship of the Baals, it was in two ways adultery. Number one, the asterisks themselves, the Baals themselves, it was a sexual worship. That's what it was. Okay, so it was a physical. But then also, she had caused the people of Israel to turn away from their God. And so they had a spiritual adultery as well. She had caused them to draw away from their God. And that was actually the more severe. That was the thing that was the danger. That's the thing that, that the Lord is actually addressing now. Think about it. There are so many things that we have in our society, in our lives, that we allow to kind of take the place and dethrone God, don't we? There are so many things. You guys ever watch the YouTube videos of the football dads? <laughs> Have you seen some of those things? Where the Just put, type in football dad. You might want to turn the volume down, though, because they're usually pretty racy. Yeah, just turn the volume down and type in football dads, and you'll just see these guys, like, and they're just like going crazy. Like literally fighting people, punching people, doing stuff like that. And they just get gnarly on these on, because like, it's like Pop Warner football. Come on. What are you doing? Seriously, what are you doing? And they're like, I mean, they're acting like, I don't even know. I mean, it, I, I, I was in uh, club ball soccer you know, when I was a kid. And you know, I, I wasn't a Christian or anything like that. I didn't think anything of it. It, took a, you know, it was very tiring. And, and my dad wasn't that, my dad wasn't that much. But, you know, 
I remember it was so stressful because like my dad would be yelling one thing, the coach would be yelling another. It was like, ah! Listen, finally I quit. I was just like, I'm done. And then I, that's, I ended up taking up uh, martial arts because I knew my dad didn't know anything about it. I really did. And, you know, but what happens a lot of times, we as parents, we can allow things like that. You know, like that football dad. That football dad, he's just like, he's so like, ah, you know, my son has to be the best, and you're doing this thing, you're, you're, you're wronging my son, you're stealing him of his chances, and ah. And it's like, really? It's football, right? Football? It's that little game. It's, it's not even the real football. Real football, soccer, which we call something, you know, whatever. Right? I mean, it's not even the real football. Now, you want to talk about real, like, craziness? You go to South America, and you talk about real football now, soccer, football, and they will literally, if, let's say you're the goalie, and you get your team all the way up to the highest pinnacle, you're, pay, you're playing for the World Cup, it's like, ah, here we go, and then you miss, and it was like a bad mistake, you miss the thing, the other team scores and wins the game, and you lose, they come after you, and they kill you. They murder you because you failed them. Really? This is still a game, right? Like you kick a little ball into a goal? Little children play this game? And yet people <laughs> all the time uh, allow these things to like, it, 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 like, it just it dominates who they are and what they do. And you go, you know what? Those things, those, those football dads and things like that, my dad was one of them. You know, it can be great. Those things can be great. Those things are all positive and good things. But when we allow it to displace God, that's when it becomes an issue. When we allow it to change who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, now it's an issue. Right? But that's not the only thing. That's just, one, that's just an easy example in Orange County society. You know, but it's like, you know what? There's all sorts of things. There's all sorts of things where it's like we put an emphasis on works. It's like, hey, you know what? We're going to be you know, a church who goes out and goes into the society, and we're going to paint people's houses, and we're going to do all these things. And it's like you know, these good deeds. We're going to do all these good deeds. If, if you guys have heard on the fish all the time, you know, they're, they're like trying to plug all these different things that you can do. Like, hey, we're going to go do this. And those things are all great. Those things are all great. But if we allow those things to replace our actual intimacy with God, then you know what? Those things are now defiled and displeasing to our Lord. Right? If you think, hey, you know what? I want to be part of the ministry. I want to teach the Bible. And I want to like, have Bible studies in my home. And I want to do all of these things. And it's like, you know what? You could teach all those Bible studies. And you could be just doing all of these things. And yet, if, you're, if you've now you know, supplanted God with the Holy Bible study, then you know what? Your Bible study is defiled. Even if you're teaching verse by verse, word by word, through the book. And so, guys, we have to make sure, we have to make sure that everything is kept in its proper place. Right? And when we have things, when we have people who try to, like, put trips on us and burdens on us to say, hey, you must do this and you must do this. And in doing that, it's actually causing you to begin to stray away from God. And that's when you need to say, no, that's a Jezebel. And that needs to get out of my life because it's tempting me away from my God. Right? We have to be men and women who are willing to say, you know what? That's a Jezebel in my life. And that thing needs to be cast out. That thing needs to be cast out and eaten by dogs. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is, it can be all sorts of things. You know, like I said, fill in the blanks. I see a couple of you smiling, writing stuff down. It's like, you know what? It can be a lot of things, can't it? How many of us can think of a Jezebel? Easy. Guys, he says, Jesus says, you allowed her to teach and seduce my servants. That's not good. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. There is one God. And him you shall hear. Him you shall worship. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. There is none other. God said, there are no other gods. I know not one. Right? There are no other gods. And yet we erect for ourselves gods to worship to displace god in our lives and so i say again remember who you serve remember who you serve and then he says now listen to this he says now to you i say and to the rest in thyatira 
as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, he says, I will put on you no other burden. Hold fast to what you have till I come. Okay? This church, this church who allowed God to be pushed out by another. This church who is allowed to be tempted away by works and God looks over their works like, whatever. He says, but those of you who have not given in, He's not saying, hey, I want you to do this, this, and this, and this. Because he, he knows their works. They're already doing it. He says their, 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 their last works were greater than their first works. He says, I know your works. He says, but you know what? He says, keep it in the right perspective. Keep it in the right priority. And he says, and I will put on you no other burden. I, I will put no other burden upon you. Jesus isn't out to put burdens on us, right? We don't have to serve him under this great weight. You know, we don't, we don't have to sit there and walk with that. He's like, you know what? My burden is light, right? It's light. Don't. It, it's good. He goes, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. He says, but you know what? What you do have, what you do have, he says, hold fast until I come. Hold fast until I come. Do you guys know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming? We've said it many times. I absolutely believe it. I can't help. You, you look around. It's got to be soon. You know, it's got to be soon. And even if it's not, I want to live like it's going to happen really soon because I like the way it makes me live. I like the way it makes me live. And yet, he says, you know what? Hold fast to what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps. Now listen to this. This is in contrast to their works. He says, and he who keeps my works until the end. That's an important thing. Right? Because they had all their works. All the things that they were doing. All of the, the programs and things like that were all running you know, smoothly and going. But he says, you know what? Hold fast to what you have. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. What's the work of Jesus Christ? It was asked Jesus in the Gospels. What is the work that I should do? And he says, the work is to believe. The work is to believe God and the one whom he sent. That is the work. The work is to put your faith and your trust, to put your love in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to do. Those are Christ's works. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. That's the work. That's what we are called to do, and that's what this church is missing. They substituted the love of the Lord for the love of a practice that encouraged and, and fulfilled their flesh in the end. That's what they traded God for. They liked, they liked the feeling. They liked this flesh. They liked this thing that they got out of it. It was exciting. It was fun. It fulfilled that, that hunger inside of them. And they substituted it for God, the one who really can fill them and satisfy them. And he says, keep until the end. And he goes, and they shall rule with a rod of iron. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture there. And he says, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Guys, this church, this church, Thyatira, was a church who on the outward looked solid. They looked good. You know, they had a lot of works. He, he said, yeah, you, you, you got a lot of works. But see, guys, the lesson from this church is that our works can be defiled by a wrong doctrine. Our works can be defiled by a wrong attitude. Our works can be defiled when we have displaced God from it. It's no longer God's works. It's now our works. And our good works are as what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Hold on to what you have. Keep his works until the end. Until he comes. And he will bless. He will give the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, it's kind of unnerving, if I'm just completely honest with you, Lord, uh, to read these words. Um, to, to look at Jezebel, and yet your word doesn't pull any punches and it doesn't apologize. Lord, Jezebel was a real woman who led many, many people astray who murdered many righteous people for her own personal gain and satisfaction. 
And Lord, we, as your church, as your people, Lord, without even knowing it, Lord, we can take up where she left off. And Lord, by our own desires, we can murder the faith of those around us for our own personal gain. And Lord, I just pray that by your word, Lord, by this um, powerful exhortation to the church of Thyatira, Lord, I pray that you would just stir my heart, Lord, our hearts. Lord, that we would look back to you. Lord, that we would look to you, Lord, and that the works of this ministry, Lord, the works of our lives, wouldn't be like the, like the work of Pastor Juan, who said, I should have been seeking you. I should have been seeking you. Lord, I pray that you would meet us here, Lord, as we seek you. Lord, I pray that you would speak, that your servants may hear. And Lord, as we take the time to just stop and lay everything down before you, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. And I pray that there would be room for no other. Lord, that we would truly lay down our idols. And that we would be able to worship in spirit and truth our Messiah, the Lord of all, the Son of the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.